Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Brewer and in today's episode, we're going to be looking at putting together the perfect mortgage offering. While fintech disruptors have looked to make mortgages simpler, there are still many hurdles in the way of seamless customer experiences for potential homeowners. So bringing together a panel today of industry experts from the UK, the US and Europe, we want to see if we can put together something that works for everybody by asking, what do we get rid of? What do we keep? And what do we need to add in the future? We'll discuss all of this and much, much more on today's show. But first, a brief word on something we're cooking up here at 11FS. Here at 11FS, we're still working hard to build the next generation of financial services, and our team is growing quickly. So we're looking for a bunch of new 11s to join us. If you or somebody you know are up for a challenge and fancy working for one of Flex's most flexible companies, come check out our open roles. We have roles in growth, product, sales, talent, and more. You'll find all the details at 11fs.com forward slash careers. That's 11fs.com forward slash careers. Okay, let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a super duper panel of awesome guests who can shed some light on this topic, hopefully. First off, uh, I'm joined by Francesca Carlesi, who is the co-founder and CEO over at Molo Finance. Welcome back to the show, Francesca. How are you doing? Hi, David. Thank you for having me back and uh, doing great. Thank you. Great to be here. No worries. Lovely to have you back. T tell us a little bit more about Molo Finance for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah, absolutely. So Molo Finance is, um, well, it's a fintech startup. We started three years ago and we are UK's first digital or fully digital mortgage, mortgage lender. Um, I would say first and only because in fact, very few people have attempted this very difficult approach. So what we do, we decided to digitize our mortgage experience front to back. We are a full stack lender, and but we have effectively rebuilt a property platform so that we don't have any dependency on any bank and we can use state-of-the-art technology to give people ideally, eventually a one-click mortgage experience. Fantastic. Going to have lots of good insights for us today then, Francesca. Thank you very much for coming back onto the show. Uh, we also have a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Ali Nicknam, who is the CEO over at Bunk. How's it going, Ali? Great. Thank you, David. Lovely to be back and looking forward to our conversation. Very curious to hear about all the other geographies that are represented today. Very curious. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're going to find uh, mortgages are still a big problem everywhere. But uh, spoiler alert for the rest of the show, everybody, in that sense. But uh, but uh, Ali, for anybody who doesn't know, tell us a little bit more about Bunk. Yeah, so Bunk is Bank of the Free, and we are a neo bank, uh, the second largest in Europe as of quite recently, and uh, we're here to make life easy for our users in everything we do. A couple of months ago, we put our first baby steps uh, into the mortgage market and became the very first neobank to offer mortgages. And we pulled that off by partnering with a partner called Tulp Hypotheca, which is a Dutch mortgage lender. And we look forward to developing the mortgages alongside our main passion and in doing so, making life easy for our users because mortgages are a lot of paperwork and they're very stressful, especially for first-time buyers. First-time buyers, I mean, it is the biggest financial commitment most people make in their lives. So um, I think there's a lot of improvements uh, we could make. 
Very, very true. Well, thank you very much for joining us again. Uh, last, but uh, by no means least, making his FinTech Insider debut today, we have Brian Simons, who is the president at Maxwell. Welcome to the show, Brian. How are you doing? I'm good, David. Thanks for inviting me. No worries at all. Uh, where are you joining us from? The producer beforehand said uh, you, you're getting up early somewhere, aren't you? It is 5.09 a.m. in Seattle, Washington. Goodness oh, wow. me. Wow. Well, we will be gentle with you, Brian, over the course of this uh, this podcast. But uh, thank you so much for making the effort to get up to tell us a little bit more about your background and Maxwell. Well, quickly about my background. I've been in the U.S. residential mortgage business for my entire 26-year career. First half of my career, I was a mortgage-related evil investment banker on Wall Street. And I spent the second half of my career, the last 13 years more, as an entrepreneur um, I sold my last company, took a little time off, and then joined Maxwell and invested in Maxwell in January of 2020. Um, look, I, I came to Maxwell, honestly, because we had a, a shared vision to help America's more small and mid-sized lenders compete against the dominant players in the industry. And we had a shared belief that the most impactful change uh, that um, those who want to kind of radically disrupt an industry can make is when they make it with seasoned professionals like myself, who really desire a change in the industry. And um, I, I think most interestingly, um, you know, hearing Ali say that um, Bunk has partnered with somebody to offer a mortgage product. That's exactly what we're developing for small and mid-sized lenders in the U.S. where we call it more as mortgage as a service where we can provide everything from a full tech stack to people to, people to process and procedures and compliance related. So literally it's, it's or think of it like mortgage in a box so we can partner with uh, neobanks or community lenders to offer a complete mortgage solution. So. I honestly haven't regretted a minute of my time at Maxwell. Fantastic. I mean, lots of people, I worked at a bank, big bank for six years as well. So, uh, you know, not all bankers are evil in that sense, but uh, but often as you found, Brian, that you actually find people really understand the problem in that sense, don't you? It's uh, And also I, I found great amount of empathy for big organizations of how hard it is to make these types of changes happen, isn't it? Correct. If you look at the, uh, you know, the Great Recession of 2008, I was right, you know, I was right in the middle of that. So it's not not just how it in affected people's jobs on Wall Street, really how it affected in in the case of, you know, my career, millions and millions of Americans. But then, of course, that spread all, all the way across the globe, both in the UK and Europe. So um, believe me, I have lived and understand that problem. <laughs> well, we talked to uh, right at the get-go of this about, well, what would we start in order to figure out what would we get rid of from a mortgages perspective? And maybe if we, we start there and look at the processes, what are the biggest barriers? What are the pain points from a customer's perspective? Maybe to get going, let's, like, let's warm ourselves. Brian, particularly for you, given it's so early in the morning in, in Seattle, we're going to need to do a little bit of a warm-up here. So um, what three words would you guys use to describe the mortgage process in 2022? Ali, let's, let's start with you. Well, I think today, um, especially for first-time buyers, it's surrounded by fear, uncertainty, and bureaucracy. I think that's the three words I would use. Very good. Well, we'll come back to why a little bit later as we unpack this. But Francesca, how about yourself? What, what three words would you go with to describe mortgages in 2022? Yeah, so unfortunately, it's kind of, it's very aligned to Ali. So I, the, what brand, you know, jumps to mind for me is always, it's very manual as paper-based and cumbersome and cumbersome means it's a little bit of a pain if you talk to anybody and you mention it even at a dinner right and you mention mortgages everybody goes whatever <laughs> this is a nightmare right and it shouldn't be that way because mortgages are uh, it's fantastic they only is the best way to own a property right so but right now is associated with a lot of pain and headaches and yeah that should change 
Yeah, definitely. Brian, what, what do you think? I always, it's always the worst thing in the world to come last in one of these things, isn't it? Because a lot of people have covered uh, covered ground. But uh, would you concur or is there anything else that you'd add? Look, I would absolutely concur. Um, and, you know, when I heard, you know, fear and the exhaustion of just of the, the paperwork and the process, you know, something I like to periodically do is I go back and read very old articles from the industry. And I saw, in fact, just yesterday, I was reading some articles from 2015 and 2016. And it was, and those articles were talking about the age of the digital mortgage and how this would be a paperless process and AI and ML. And it's like, oh my God, we're still having that conversation today. So if I had to probably say, what are the three words um, that describe the process in 2022? Going nowhere fast. Very good, very good. It feels like a uh, t-shirt slogan. Well, we solved the Uh fast. So that's, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and that, I think it's an interesting one, isn't it? All of those, uh, like, I'm not going to add my three, but as somebody who went through the mortgages process three months ago, I can relate to all of the ones that you've said. Like, the, it was a paper-based, painful, expensive, kind of, you know, darkness in that sense, in terms of being able to kind of get to grips with it. And that's not great, is it? You know, there are, I'm a financial services industry guy and even still there were the acronyms being used that I didn't understand in that sense you know so it's a a very very odd process I mean to to stick on the what do we get rid of um for each of you and maybe starting with you Brian what's the one thing that you'd like to take out of the mortgages process because I mean touching on what you were saying about going nowhere fast maybe a bit more urgency of fixing that problem yeah I, I would agree and um it, it, at least as far as the you kind of the United States goes I'm not sure we can necessarily eliminate any portion of the mortgage process, but we can automate more of the mortgage process to make it less burdensome on the consumer. I, I, I'm not trying to be a shameless plug for Maxwell, but you know we, we have two applications called Quick Apply and File Fetch, and with just your your name, your Social Security number, and your zip code or postal code, we can gather through public records and your bank basically all the information necessary to fill out your mortgage application. So. You know, that is something we can do to help borrowers just at least start the mortgage process by eliminating a lot of the headache that they need to just, you know, manually input uh, information into an application, whether it be online or on paper. And what do you think, Brian, before today has sort of inhibited that type of change? Because, I mean, something that I definitely felt going through the process was there's almost a obfuscation of of terminology and, uh, you know, heavily paperwork based almost seemingly there's an industry that's been created around around that process which is you know highly profitable for the people who you know the solicitors and everybody who's sort of uh, overseeing it but it doesn't need to be that way as you've you've evidenced right it doesn't necessarily need to be that way um, you know in, interestingly the consumer financial protection bureau or the cfpb here in the united states which is the um, i don't know let's call it the overlord of the mortgage industry um, you know they just came out with a, with a press release on the 17th of June, and they said they were finally, after decades, going to streamline you know, mortgage regulations. So probably, you know, and really in their press release, they said that overburdensome mortgage regulations only benefits the large dominant players and their law firms. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's who it really benefits. It doesn't really benefit the small lender, the community lender, or, or the neo bank trying to break into the industry because they are going up against a behemoth or multiple behemoths with 
very expensive lawyers. It becomes very cumbersome. So I look, I support the CFPB and how they're going to streamline the mortgage regulations here. Very good. Francesco, what what would you say? What would you add to that? What's the, the one thing that you'd like to, to take out of the mortgage process globally for people? Yeah, so I think overall, I would say, I mean, many things should be changed, right? But I think overall, I think I would really point at the, the kind of paperwork, okay? And I think that is something that nobody's used anymore to have to do. You know, in any of your experience, you just click a button, you get what you want. But most importantly, it's not needed. And to your point, David and, and Brian, right, the, 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 the kind of crazy thing is that in the 21st century, it's really not needed because all this data that you need are digitized. They're existing somewhere. And all you're doing and every lender is doing is asking the customer to do a lot of work to give them the same data that are actually available somewhere else in a digital format. So, I mean, similarly, I think, Brian, it's really interesting to see the approach you're taking. We are taking a similar approach. We, we kind of put a discipline in place. We say whenever we don't ask the customer anything that is available somewhere else and we just source it straight from the source through APIs and all of that. And you'd be surprised, actually, you have access to even more than you need. So I think eliminating forever paperwork and the need for customers to upload payslip or banking statement is, is completely revolutionized experience. And the good news is that it's actually possible, right? It's actually possible. Now, I think, let me maybe then get back to your question, which was why then it hasn't happened, right? David, you'll be wondering why you had to go through all of this pain. And I had the same, you know, a few years ago. So I think the, 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 the the point is that um, all of this is available and is possible, but it's only recently possible, right, since the last few years. And the, the industry is across the globe, but in most countries, is dominated by incumbent lenders, their procedures, their policies, teams. It's very difficult to change when you have a process and compliance requirements that are already kind of a legacy in your system. So you need to completely, you either completely re-engineer the process and, uh, and take a bold approach and redesign from scratch, or it's very difficult to, to change it. But the, it's actually possible today, and I think that's what should be done, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, at 11FS, we will say there's a massive difference between digitizing something and creating a digital version, isn't there? There's a lot of, uh, I've seen a lot of PDFs on a lot of websites, and that's uh, that's not the, the digital future that we we really could create. But I mean, Ali, as an organization, I mean, obviously what you've done from a, a retail banking perspective, more around current accounts, you've tried to kind of move the agenda when it comes to, to digital. But I mean, mortgages is a very different place, right? It's a, a much more complex financial instrument with regards to what the regulator sees. So, I mean, how have you guys found it getting into the, the mortgage space? Well, that's a great question. I think uh, if, you, if you look at mortgages, uh, a couple of things stand out. So obviously, the digitization is an important point to making things easy. I do believe that the Netherlands is more advanced in this regard than most other countries. Uh, many of the things... Uh, Every Dutch person tells me that, to be fair. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but it really is. But I guess it's also because it's a smaller country, to be, to be fair. Everything, for anyone who has ever been here, I think... They have noticed everything here is very efficient and everything works. I mean, the roads work, the bridges work. I just flew back from New York a couple of days ago. Very different environment there. Nothing works, but you have more fun. So there's then there's that too. But anyway, Dutch society is very efficient. And I think the paperwork uh, stuff, albeit cumbersome, and the bureaucracy, albeit cumbersome, is probably a little bit less than some of the other countries around us. 
but I think what's most, most striking for uh, many of our users is the uncertainty and the fear. Like, is, is this really the right type of mortgage for me? Uh, should I slightly overland, which is still possible under Dutch mortgage laws? Should I slightly underland? How much savings should I bring in? Should I go for annuity or um, linear or even have a part of it without, um, I don't know the English word, but without having to, to, to pay back the, the, the mortgage, so to say. So so the fear of making wrong choices is a, is a big thing. So I think if somehow the process would give a bit of comfort to users, that would really help. And then the uncertainty is also a big thing because at least in the Netherlands, you buy a house on the condition that you can get a financing. Uh, but then this con- condition is usually only valid a couple of weeks, like four to six weeks. Now, I've experienced myself uh, when I applied for my first mortgage that uh, the six weeks was coming to an end and I simply hadn't gotten any answer back from any of the mortgage suppliers that I had applied to, which ultimately meant I had an enormous problem because I didn't have the financing on one hand to complete the deal and I didn't have the paper backing on the other hand to be able to get out of the deal. So you can imagine the type of stress that puts someone to who has never done this before. So I think it's things like that that we're trying to trying to solve. But then if we zoom out and we really look at why the mortgage industry is the way it is, I think it is because of two things. And now I'm speaking mostly about uh, Europe or greater Europe, you know, Europe, including uh, Britain. So to say, <laughs> I hope one day that will be the case again. Um, I think it's two things. One, uh, the financial uh, industry is festered with regulation. Um, we think that regulation can solve everything. Uh, and I've never quite understood that because I think regulation should be there to prevent people from doing really bad things. But other than that, we should, you know, let the market do its own thing because trying to regulate everything ultimate, ultimately is communism. And I don't want to make it bigger than it is, but, you know, we kind of tried trying to, you know, centralize everything and having a centralized approach didn't really work. So I'm not really sure why we try to do the same approach with the finance industry. And secondly, although uh, the Eurozone at least is, is one market and, uh, you know, it's gigantic, rules and regulations surrounding lending and mortgages are still very local, country by country. And this is an enormous opportunity because I think if the rules and regulations would be harmonized, suddenly uh, we won't have access to 17 million uh, potentially requiring mortgages, but... 400 million people require mortgages. Uh, and then obviously you would get all the goodness about uh, mass scale, which is lower prices, better service, more competition, better everything. So to me, if any regulator is listening, um, you know, maybe you guys should all get together and harmonize the whole thing because ultimately that will benefit everyone. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? There's, um, I, I definitely agree with you when you look at regulation with regards to almost kind of putting up too many guardrails in that sense. I guess in, in Europe, obviously with PSD2 and in the UK with open banking, we've started to see regulation almost be a, uh, like a kick up the backside for the industry, more, less about guardrails, more about, look, if you don't disrupt yourselves, we're going to kind of incentivize a bunch of people to, to do that, which is fantastic. And that, you know, with you, Ali and, and Francesca, you organizations have been able to be born in this period that that regulation probably would have prohibited before. Well, I think to be fair, 
David, if, if, if you allow me to disagree with what you just said, sure. I think the whole reason why PSD2 was necessary to open up a market is an indication that the market is unhealthy. Sure, completely agree. So in any normal environment, any other industry has APIs, open things, people are collaborating, people are working together, people are co-creating, except for the financial industry. And to get people to do that, we're adding more of the same medicine that got us here in the first place, which is more regulation. So please allow me to disagree with that opinion because, you know, Bunk, way before PSD2, we had our open API. We, we wanted and we did and we do collaborate. The problem is that all of this regulation very much favors, as Brian said so eloquently, favors the incumbents and keeps things, keeps the status quo in, in place. Yeah. So I think clear regulation I'm not talking about, you know, letting people get away with anything. It's like clear, crystallized rules and let the market do its thing. Yeah. Well, why do we, before we move on to, to continue, because I'm sure there's a few things in the industry that, that is done okay, which we can pick out, or, or at least there'll be at least one, I imagine, in, in terms of it. But, but why do we think the big incumbents haven't really innovated in this space because i mean when you look at the the market the mortgage purchase i mean it is the most complex it's the biggest you know it's the biggest commitment you probably make in your life you know i mean like maybe just outside of your marriage in that sense in terms of the other stuff that you're committing to but you're romantic you <laughs> well I, I know my wife listens to this so i know i'll get in trouble so like yeah. francesca what do you think though what why have the big incumbent organizations not not really really pushed in this space or, or why actually is there not more of a relationship around mortgages yeah no i i mean very happy to contribute like i spent also my first part of the first part of my career in banking <laughs> with a large incumbents and came to the conclusion that no real disruption could come out of that of that in general so and i think the reason is and it's specifically mortgage i think it's quite um mind-boggling right why there's been digital banking payments sme lending all digitized except mortgages which by the way for reference is the largest revenue pool in banking is probably the most profitable considering lower capital requirements as well that's quite relevant for every bank and the majority I mean, a big chunk of their profitability and revenues are driven by mortgages so you think there is a big incentive to make it a prominent and great product right so um, so for, for, for what I've seen is, is a mix of, um, of three things, why incumbents has not really pushed the envelope there. So one is, uh, let's say, legacy infrastructure. I think that's what always everybody thinks. It's not just the tech infrastructure, just the legacy compliance policies. You know, in, in, changing things in a big bank is like moving an oil, oil tank. So you really, it really requires a lot of work, a lot of people to get together, but effectively also killing some of the existing tech platforms and on and the majority all the largest banks they probably usually have a tech infrastructure which requires piecemeal obsolete there is no data transparency i mean i talk by first experience there, and it's very difficult to build a really digital a new experience on that basis so the the level of effort investment requires too much but then second and i think probably most prominent is a little bit of a lack of incentives let me Put it this way, I believed myself in big banks for a long time. And the reality is that at the end, the, the, the management structure, the, the whatever, the incentives, but even what, what really matters is not about bringing new innovation, new disruption, and so on, because you'd be cannibalized, as a head of retail, for example, you'd be cannibalizing a lot of your existing revenues. 
But if you wanted to push disruption, and typically when you do that, you need to go against a lot of other stakeholders. So in terms of management desire or incentive or burning platform to do it, it's not really there. And in fact, it starts being there only when somebody threatens their space. If you look at what's happening in digital banking, right? Nobody was really thinking about giving opening an access a bank account online a few years ago until some digital banks came up and said, well, actually, if you don't, we're going to do it. And then banks started to realize, oh my gosh, we need to have a digital agenda, right? And in mortgages, nobody has challenged that for many years. Yeah. I mean, that's that's interesting, isn't it? Because at that point, essentially, look, despite all of the customer problems, despite people having all of these difficulties, if the revenue model ain't broke, don't try and fix it, right? And that's that. it does seem that way in the industry. I, I guess we, we should move on to what, what they're doing well, though, and, and not just big incumbents, but the, the industry as a, as a whole. And actually, if we, we sort of look back at the the developments that have happened. I mean, Brian, you just touched on the the regulatory uh, requirements or the, the the direction, you know, hey, maybe this just sort of protects gigantic big organizations. Maybe we should look at, you know, leveling the play field a little bit. But what what do you think in the US is is really uh, being done well in with regards to developments? I think what's being done well is really that, that consumer facing experience. Really, it's the, it's the application component because I mean, up until, again, five, six years ago, much of mortgages you still applied by filling out a piece of paper and attaching your tax returns and your bank statements and putting it in the mail and sending it to somebody. Um, at least today, you can now apply for a mortgage loan online. I, and probably it's maybe not a great example, but, you know, if, if you look at the automotive industry where, where you know, you can, you can use this little device right here and, you know, I can order an electric vehicle, a state-of-the-art, whether, I don't know if I want to call Tesla state-of-the-art, but I can I can order a beautiful electric vehicle. But if you think about maybe when you were in grade school and you, you're looking at your history books and you see those early photos of the, of the automotive industry and you see the guys in the leather aprons and they're hand putting together a car, that's still how a mortgage is manufactured in the U.S. So I can, I can order a mortgage or apply for a mortgage on this device and then there's a bunch of humans hand hammering together your mortgage. Um, so I, I think it's the manufacturing process, which is probably what's what's most broken, and it's the application process, which is light years ahead of where it was just five or six years ago. Well, that's uh, that's good progress. I mean, Francesca, what do you think in from a from a UK perspective? What's the what's the biggest developments in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think it's uh, there's been developments. Okay, there are some positives. So I think uh, probably a couple point out. So first of all, most lenders they have developed an online journey right now. So w- which was you know unheard of until a few years back. So now it's effectively easy. You have calculators, you have decision principles. There, are, there is a way to go online and get a quick instant response, right? So that has been quite positive. Now there is no decisioning, so you're anyway stuck at the end of it in majority of the cases, but but it's already making the whole process information quite a little bit more transparent and digital. I do think that, uh, personally, I do think that the, you know, it's very criticized, but I do think open banking has been a massive watershed moment for the old banking industry, but specifically for mortgages at the end. We should not forget in a mortgage experience, that's that's when you ask them a, the biggest amount of data to a customer. And open banking allows to shortcut that process, right? So it's not widely adopted yet, but I do think that will bring in enormous benefits going forward. But I think, you know, banks have all realized they need to be online, they need to have some kind of digital journey, and they need to start getting data, some, you know, 
from straight from the source. So these things are happening, although very, very slowly. Yeah. Ali, I guess we, we've touched on regulation and, uh, and Francesca just sort of mentioned it a little bit there. But I mean, how have you found the the relationship with the regulator in that sense? Seems like a very loaded question. You know, ask a CEO of a, of a bank, what's your what's your relationship like with the regulator? It's wonderful. Like we have a great relationship. But but I, I guess the the what you're looking for is a partner, I guess, in that sense, because, you know, having spoken to you a couple of times before, you don't have a very traditional view of the industry. You have a very progressive view of the industry. You want to support customers in different ways. And that that doesn't fit always into how financial instruments are, are created or how regulators regulate. So, I, I mean, how open have you found the regulators to uh, maybe a, a different way of, of describing that journey? Well, you know, I'll, I'm going to give you an insight into regulators, which might be very surprising or not surprising at all, but regulators are people too. You know, they come in all shapes and sizes, in all forms. So if I would summarize my uh, relationship with the regulator, I would say it's, uh, at the moment, it's very good. Um, it, it goes in waves. So I think it's been between uh, very good when we started to uh, being slightly less good, not bad, but less good, like, uh oh, what's going on? You know, when the business started picking up, then things got real for them as well. Like, uh oh, now we really need to pay attention. Do these guys really know what they're doing? Is, you know, are things going to be safe? They were basically doing their job. And now it's quite good again, because now they're comforted that we are doing our job and we are indeed bringing this innovation to the market that they so desperately wanted. Uh, And that's why, that's, I think, one of the primary reasons why we got our permit. So I think overall it's quite good. Now, at the end of the day, I mean, doing business is a people thing. So one person you like more than the other, one person just gets you better than the other. Um, I'd say appreciating what their core, uh, what their core uh, reason to be is for regulators, obviously, to keep things safe. Um, and, you know, the most... Uh, the easiest way to achieving that is to make sure, you know, to just keep doing what you're doing. So naturally, regulators are going to be more conservative than we are. But at the same time, I think 2008 was a wake-up call that, you know, just doing what you're doing doesn't always necessarily re- uh, result in the safest possible solution. And so I think the regulator is a bit more balanced. And I think uh, as a consequence of that, they're open to new things. And I think throughout the years, um, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call myself a banker, but throughout the years, we as bank have also learned not just to be tech, but also to uh, speak the same language as a as the regulator, which has also ironed out some of the uh, miscommunications we used to have in the early days. So we've grown towards each other, I'd like to say. I, I think that's um, that's something that I think uh, people always sort of forget to a certain degree, which is, you know, post 2008, the regulator's been on the same journey as the entirety of the industry. And actually, you know, your point around relationships, uh, I know whether it's, you know, whether it's uh, HKMA or SAMA or MAS or the FCA or whoever, like actually the innovation side feels very different from the supervisory side. Uh, uh, and actually that's a, a thing that they're challenging as much as anything, aren't they, in terms of really coming to get to grips with a, regulating a, an industry that's that's progressing so quickly. Um, I mean, it sounds like this, there are things that the, the incumbents are doing or the, I mean, particularly on the regulatory side of things, that's, that's positive. But I mean, Francesca, you touched a little bit on our open banking. Um, I feel like 
I feel like the building blocks are there, you know, the Lego blocks for, you know, doing uh, checks on affordability automatically, doing, you know, being able to jump into those things to, to make the process much more effective. But it feels like the, the blocker seems to be adoption from the incumbents to make those things happen. Um, so it's difficult, isn't it? it? You know, there's a chicken and egg scenario there, isn't there, which is, is it an open banking problem or is it actually a an adoption and implementation problem? And and it's almost like uh, I think open banking almost slightly gets a bad rep because people haven't done something with something that where it could be. No, I agree. And I think open bank is a very interesting case. So I think, again, open banking, we should not forget it came from a regulatory agenda. So I know, Ali, maybe we differ that in terms of how we see the, 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 the kind of the support that regulators has given to innovation. But open bank, especially in the UK, is even more than PSC2, right? So the regulator adopted gold-plated PSC2 to allow even more exchange of data, which nobody had to do. So I think it's at least I, th I find that in the UK, especially the SCA, does have an innovation agenda now within their limits, right? But effectively, they do intentionally want to promote more disruption, more innovation, and you know, and shaking up the incumbent world, right? Now, open bank, I think, is part of that agenda, and I think David, the, the, the reality is, it is fantastic. I mean, what open banking allows you to do in principle is impressive. Okay, we do use open banking and is, is the future. Now, it has not been adopted yet so much. I think the point is, the, the, the problem is probably twofold, or why this has not happened. We see it with our customers and you know we follow the curve of adoption from the beginning. Uh, on one side is, uh, is customer adoption, but because there hasn't been enough education, okay? So any new innovation that is a breakthrough innovation requires a period of handholding, okay? And if you think about this, there's not been much communication or promotion of what open banking really is and isn't. And some people are scared when they see a big window popping up and say, well, give me access to all your data. So some communication and handling and education that would have helped. I think right now, though, it's starting to happen, right? There are apps that you can open your phone. The first thing they ask you is access to all your banks and people just adopt it. So I think the whole consumer adoption is happening. Uh, and then you're right, from the incumbents, the, take up have the largest market share in the industry, they haven't pushed it enough because the problem is they don't have, that's the problem, a customer facing experience. So a lot of the incumbents, what we see, they do a connect through APIs to data sources and so on, but they don't bring that direct link to the benefit of the customer. They do it in their office and then they still communicate with, with the customer through an email. So you need to reverse that. And when you start from the customer journey, then you know, the benefits of that experience goes to the customer. I think it's, it's twofold, but I would not definitely, I don't think, I don't agree with some of the things that's been there out there that Open Bank has been a failure. I just think it's, it's actually progressing. It's going to be, you know, a watershed moment really for everybody. It just requires a moment of settling in. But customers are ready. Customers are ready. Yeah, I think it's um, it's sort of building, isn't it? But um, but actually, there's so much more that can come and will come in that sense. But uh, all right, well, probably enough about the past. Um, we're going to take a little bit of a quick break, and we'll be back very shortly to talk about what comes next. Full Circle is the customer lifecycle intelligence platform that's helping companies in financially regulated industries do better business faster. Financial institutions are under pressure on multiple fronts. 
Customers are demanding better experiences. Competitors are making a grab for market share. Regulatory scrutiny is fiercer than ever. And the cost to acquire and serve is high. Full Circle's new white paper explores how customer lifecycle intelligence can help companies find the right customers, accelerate onboarding, and keep them for life. Download it from the link in the podcast description. So we're going to go out on a limb here and assume that you're enjoying this podcast. We're also going to assume that, like us, you're a fintech nerd and that our podcasts, live events, video series and documentaries keep you tapped into everything that's happening across fintech and connected to the fintech community. So if you're interested in creating content that informs and entertains, then you should definitely chat to our media team and get in touch on sponsors at 11fs.com. Okay, folks, so let's have a look at what happens in the future then. So when it comes to mortgages and what we really want to see, well, what do you reckon is going to happen? Maybe, Brian, if we want to start to you, what what would you really want to see happen in the, the industry in the next, let's say, five years? <laughs> a fully digital mortgage, <laughs> which, I, which I think was the vision five years ago. Um, but yes, a, a fully digital mortgage, uh, you know, no, no paper, no physically going to an attorney's office or a settlement services company to sign documents. But I, I think for us, you know, the problem with the fully digital mortgage is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we're focused on the consumer, but these loans, in, at least in the United States, the majority of them get sold into the secondary market. And so the digital mortgage is not accepted in, in, or widely accepted by the end investors. So to the extent the end investors don't accept the digital mortgage, then the digital mortgage never really kind of comes to fruition uh, for the borrower. So I, I think part of it is you, you have to start at the back end of the food chain and work on investor acceptance. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, when you say a, a fully digital mortgage, I mean, nobody, uh, it's the sort of slightly trifle example isn't it but nobody nobody ever buys a nobody ever buys a mortgage they buy a home and what that what they want is that that end-to-end experience I, I guess you know we we've seen so much progress when it comes to embedded finance that actually the mortgage just is a tiny little slice of that home buying process isn't it which you know if we think uh if we think the mortgage process is is slow then uh Dear God, in the UK, conveyancing and solicitors and you know everything that goes with all of those processes, actually fitting a um, you know a, a digital mortgage without having an end-to-end digital home buying process is like having a you know a CD player in a Ford T. You know, what I mean, it's like uh, you might have a an updated part of it, but but we need that full end-to-end as you described, don't we? No, I I fully agree because um, I mean we're all we're industry experts. And we're all focused on bits of the pie, right? Mortgages or whatever. But ultimately, the end consumer, you just want to live in a place without a headache, knowing that you're good. And, and part of that is a mortgage. Part of that is the buying pr- uh, process by itself. It's also the all of the uh, insurances and all the other stuff that comes with it. So like Brian, I hope that everything will be digital, but in a larger sense. Of the question, if I may. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that, like you say, that that end to end in that sense and fitting it into it feel, feels really like the obvious next step to, to to move to. I mean, Francesca, that the change that has to come with that is, you know, it starts all the way from, you know, 
hey, I'm thinking about moving, finding a home all the way through to, you know, the keys are at your door, right? So Absolutely. And I, I agree. So I think for that, for sure, at the end, you, you buy a house, you don't buy a mortgage, right? If, if somebody could, if you could just click a button, somebody gets it sorted for you, that'd be great. But I think that's possible today. So if I think the ideal journey eventually is that you just want to buy a property, you see, you click, you get finance, you order the moving you know, the move, you even order the furniture online and it's all kind of part of the seamless process. And by the way, this is possible today because we, we, for example, we are a model, we have mapped it out and that's exactly where we want to get to now step by step. But if I think today you have digital companies, you can really integrate everything, even insurance, right? And, and make it part of the journey. So I think that ultimately will happen. And again, it's, it can happen today, right? Just a matter of assembling the pieces of the puzzle. And yes, the way we envision it in the future is the one-click mortgage experience, which again, on paper is actually possible today. I would only add one thing that often gets a little bit underlooked uh, when we talk about digital and tech, which always we're very excited about, but is in the mortgage world, what we found is that there's a big problem about experience, usability and so on, which is what we've been discussing so far, but there is an even bigger problem about access. Okay, and it's about affordability and getting people to everybody to be able to buy a home. And I think that's the other thing I would like to see in the next five years, because what we found is that um, one of the reasons why is a lot of people struggle to buy a home is because there's no product innovation in this market. So at the end, tech is a means to an end at the end, right? But the reality, what really is lacking in this market in UK, but I think in Europe, right, is, is there's no real product innovation. All the mortgages all look the same. And actually, you've kind of, as a customer, you're stuck in this cookie cutter approach, which is a cookie cutter of how people assess affordability, credit underwriting. But actually, ultimately, you either fit in the cookie cutter or you don't. And if you don't, then you struggle to get on the housing ladder. So, what I really like to see as well is to be in a world where everybody gets a mortgage. At the end, you go on a platform, your price for risk, you know, your affordability is run on, on who you really are, not on whether you tick some boxes or not, you can use alternative data sources today and you can really assess a person and give a mortgage to everybody. So I think that I really like it to happen. Again, there are barriers there and I think one of the barriers what Brian mentioned is about who ultimately buys the mortgages. They do operate in a very rigid way, so there's some education to be done. But that's another important development I'd like to see as well. Yeah, I think from my perspective, I'd love to see mortgages stop being thought of as debt and more thought of as investment. Uh, and I think that actually the way in which organizations want to build relationships with people, that can be such a powerful thing because you know very often it's the millstone around your neck. You try not to look at that gigantic balance you're trying to pay off, but, but fundamentally that's an asset you're investing in that actually fluctuates in the same way as you know, your stocks and shares does or your, you know, your cryptocurrency flutter. You know? like, so, so I think at the point where we start to, to really see people introduce mortgages as a investment opportunity and therefore monitor the the value of the asset that it is that you're investing in uh, i think it changes the dynamic of the industry in terms of actually what that really brings and it, and that's a subtle change that doesn't require too you know too many dramatic things to do it because that relationship at the point where you know your asset is increased by 40 grand or whatever it is well that that opens up opportunities for for individuals to do really powerful things with with that additional piece that they could borrow against so i i guess for um for you guys who have have done this i mean you know brian francesca ali you guys have, have moved into the 
the the mortgage industry. I mean, what would be the advice for anybody, any fintech listening to this right now, thinking, do you know what the mortgage industry looks like? It has a you know a fair play to to, to get into. Ali, what what would be your advice for somebody coming into this? Is um, there's more regulation than you think potentially? Well, my advice to anyone considering doing anything in a financial industry is don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Regulation really sucks the life energy out of you. (laughs) Go out there, fix something else that's unregulated. Um, I mean, do crypto if if you believe in that. Uh, Fix the energy problem. Fix climate uh, change. Don't get into this industry because, yeah. Because you just don't. <laughs> Experts uh, advice. <laughs> I, I love some brutal realism, but but I think people are underestimate. Fintech is so sexy. People underestimate how hard this stuff is, right? So, and actually, the perseverance you need to to really make something significant happen is is difficult, isn't it? Yes, it is. And then uh, you have all this back and forth, and so many discussions with so many stakeholders, and so many rules and regulations that you need to comply with, and they're all different by country by country basis, and then. Uh, you know, you have coordinated, I don't know, with 40 people and everybody's okay. And then you hit one person, it's the last person and they think something else. And now you have to go back. You've invested already two years in whatever it is you're trying to do. And you're like, why am I doing this? All I'm trying to do is contribute to society. All I'm trying to do is make lives of consumers easier. All I'm trying to do is make it safer for them, cheaper for them, you know, solve world hunger. That's easy. <laughs> if this stuff was easy... Everybody be doing it right. So actually, and, and actually, the the scale of the inertia in the industry it takes an enormous amount of effort to get momentum, doesn't it? So, Brian, what what about you? I mean, somebody who you've been in this industry for for a little while, you've you've seen different sides of that as well. What would be the the advice you'd give somebody getting in? <laughs> well, I, I know Ali is you know it's more doom and gloom, uh, and to a certain <laughs> ex- and to a certain extent, I would probably agree and tell somebody to don't get in this industry, but. Look, I, I have been at least in the United States, like in this industry for tw- for 26 years. It is, um, I think, as we've already discussed over the last nearly 45 minutes, it's a highly complex industry, which is still needs to be disruptive, and uh, the puzzle has not been solved. But I, you know, I like to always try to remember that what we're really working towards is there's a family somewhere somewhere that's just going to get a set of keys to a house. And I know here we always talk about, you know, getting a home as being the American dream, but I was listening to, to Francesca and I realized it's not the American dream. It's really the global dream. Like everybody just wants a house to call their own in that, that place where they feel safe and can raise their family, I think. So that's what I'm just trying to keep keep focused on that at the end of the day, I'm just trying to help somebody get a set of keys. Very good. Francesca, what would be the advice you'd give somebody getting into the industry? Um, I'll be a little bit more positive. I think my main advice would be to... I mean, when it's talk about industry for me, it's now mortgages, right? And mortgage disruption from a tech angle. I would say don't underestimate the fin part or the fintech side, right? Which is a little bit along the lines of what to discuss. So it's very easy if you want to disrupt, you come with a tech angle, you say we're going to, you know, move fast and break things. However, I have to say I had to learn actually in mortgages in particular, I cannot talk about banking general, but mortgage in particular, you really need to acquire from the get-go deep expertise, get experts around the table, understand what you're talking about, understand the ecosystem, because it's complicated, it's more complicated than any other lending. There is a conduct element that is massive, at least here in the UK. So if you have that experience and expertise up front, then you're building something that is disruptive, but it's also 
proper. Otherwise, you might need to go in loops, right? So I think don't, it's not, I would say, maybe somebody will criticize me, but it's not like building a dating app at the end, right? There is so much more complexity. So make sure you just have the right DNA in the team and make sure you do, you know, have banking people, mortgage people as well. So, but that would be my, my two cents on this. It is, a, it is amazing in an industry, you know, fintech, it is amazing how many organizations or how many people in many organizations don't understand the fundamentals of financial services. And it is a it is a great bedrock to get into in, in that sense, in terms of understanding the industry. Because look, if you're trying to change something, you've got to really understand it, haven't you? So uh, so on that note, I think we're probably going to have to wrap up here. I think we're, we're probably agreeing that there's there has been progress. There has been progress in the industry. In fact, actually, all three of your organizations are, are very much spearheading that change when it comes to progressing the industry and moving it forward i think there's a long way for us to to go and that's great you know opportunity left on the table by big incumbents is is the things that this is why you guys this is why ali gets out of bed even though it's difficult this is why you guys get out of bed because there is this huge opportunity still to to take over this industry in that sense so but on that note we're gonna have to wrap up i'm afraid thank you all so much for joining us where can people learn a little bit more about you and your companies starting with you francesca yeah i'm francesca i'm on linkedin and twitter and um, you can learn about molo at molofinance.com very good ali where can people learn a little bit more Download Bunk in the App Store or go to www.bunk.com. And Bunk is B-U-N-Q, point symmetric, so everybody sees the same logo all the time. Very good. Uh, Brian, where can people learn a little bit more about you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or as far as Maxwell, you can also find me there at uh, highmaxwell.com. Very good. As for me, you can find me mostly on LinkedIn these days. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It super helps other people find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email us on podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you much for listening, everybody. Goodbye.